Hello everyone and welcome back to the Humans of Doom River Season 2, Episode 5. Today my guest is Mr. Calfee, who is an English teacher at James River High School. He's also the yearbook teacher, track coach, tennis coach, um, rapid press sponsor. He basically does like everything at James River. He's an amazing guy and today he'll be talking about his running story, the importance of being yourself, and just the James River community in general. And I really hope that you guys all enjoy. All right, so welcome to uh, this edition of the Humans of James River, and I am very proud to have been asked to share a story. Um, I This is now my sixth year at James River High School. Uh, my name is Christopher Calfee. Uh, some people call me Coach Calfee, um, and as it seems to have been over my entire coaching career, people end up just calling me by my last name, Calfee. Um, it's something that I've spent a lot of my educational time, people not knowing I had a first name, Christopher, because my teachers would call me Calfee, my coaches would call me Calfee. Um, And so there's even some coaches now when I reached out to them on Appreciate Your Coach Day, they're like, oh, that was your name? I just remember you as Calfee. So that's that's kind of an interesting thing. Um, So just a little bit of background here at James River. Um, I teach English. I'm the yearbook sponsor. Uh, I help out with Rapid Press. I coach uh, boys and girls cross country, indoor track, the middle distance guys and gals, and then I'm boys tennis coach. Um, I came to James River uh, from teaching and coaching at the middle school level, uh, both at Providence Middle School and Swift Creek Middle School. And before that, Um, I taught high school in Tennessee, but I've also done some other things. I've worked as a regional personnel director. I went to graduate school and I was also in the military. Um, So the story I'm going to kind of share today is uh, it's been 15 years since this happened, um, but it's kind of a a pivotal time in my life. Um, So I'll start. So this happened in 2005. September of 2005. The story kind of really started when I was in college and I stumbled upon this thing called running. Um, And basically running for me at first in college was I need to get in shape for other sports. And so when I first started running, I remember my first ever run five miles in uh in a pair of tennis shorts, shorts to play tennis in, and basketball shoes. And so I ran with some cross-country guys because one of my roommates was a cross-country runner. And we ran five miles, two and a half miles up to the top of a mountain and back down. And I, we got to the bottom and I'm like, uh, why are we doing this? Why did we run all the way to the top? Why did we come back? Um, and, you know, like, why? Why do you like this? And so um, I ended up running with them some. I ended up being on the cross-country team in college, um, and I really didn't like it. I loved racing. Um, I loved lacing up spikes and running, but I didn't really like the training part of it. I was like, do I have to get up and go run in the morning? Um, Can I skip practice today? Um, Can I run later? And so I found myself in a position in college where I was playing multiple sports, so I had to balance my time. And it wasn't really until my junior year of college that I really fell in love uh, with running, and I became a runner. Um, and that changed my entire life. I had a great college, um, had a great college career. Um, I tried to run semi-professionally after college. Um, I was kind of trying to make money from being a runner before the Kenyan and Ethiopian explosion in America where they started coming here and winning all the races. And, and so I've quickly realized that maybe I was going to qualify for the Olympic trials in the marathon. And so I became part of a professional training team. I changed my diet. I trained all the time. I ate really boring food. I used this um, 90s thing called the eat to win diet and I hated it. Um, and I had a coach and I trained with other professional runners and I just could not get to that standard for the Olympic trials and the marathon. I missed it 
a couple of times by less than five seconds. Um, and so then I, for all intents and purposes, kind of became disenchanted with running. And so I did no longer focused on my own performance. I coached in college. I coached high school. I had a little like of a walkabout, like in, you know, you hear about within Australia, you go walk about in the outback and figure out what you're going to do with your life. And so I walked about with different careers and I walked about with being in the military. Uh, but then ended up back in Virginia, uh, unemployed, realizing that at the time there wasn't a teacher shortage in Virginia. And even though I had loads of experience, I would get to the final interview and they would say, do you have a teaching certificate? And I would say, no. And they said, well, despite all of your experience and your wonderful accolades and your wonderful things you could bring to our programs, uh, you don't have a teaching certificate. So too bad. And so at that point in time, I said, well, what can I do? And so I went to graduate school and I hated it. It was boring. I felt like I was better than everybody else because I'd already taught Fortunately, though, I met my wife there, and that was like the highlight of it. And then I launched into my teaching career in Virginia, and I taught for a while at the elementary school level. I got recruited by Chesterfield County. I came to Chesterfield County, and I was uh, at Providence Middle School. And in this transition, I had kind of rediscovered uh, I still ran on a regular basis, but I'd rediscovered my passion for running. I'd done all these races and all these things, but I, I got into this thing called ultra marathoning, which is races that are longer than a marathon. And so I started doing those in 2000 and I said, wow, I really like running 50 miles or I like running 50 kilometers. And I really like this change of training because I could still run relatively fast, but I got to slow down and I got to enjoy it a little bit more and I got to eat more food while I was running. Um, and so while I was at Providence, um, I, I, I coached girls basketball and I did track and field. And so um, we had this idea of how to raise money for the track program. So the first thing I did was, and this is all kind of leading up to how I'm going to tell you about 2005. So I decided, okay, we're going to fundraise for the track program. I'm going to run a marathon on the track that's 26.2 miles during track practice. So I started right before track practice started. I ran, I finished in under three hours. All the kids got donations and we raised money. And I thought, oh, well, how could we make this bigger? Like, like, what could I do? And I was like, oh, okay. Instead of just running during practice, I'm going to run to the next morning and then teach the next day. And so I ran around the track all afternoon and all night and ran to the next morning and I covered X amount of miles or whatever. And so people love that. It's weird and strange. And why are you doing that? They gave money to the athletic programs. And so while I was doing that, I was starting to do some different races and starting to explore, well, maybe I'm going to do a hundred miler or maybe I'm going to do this. And so in 2005, I was watching late night television. And I'd started doing things uh, like I would leave my car at school and I would run home from Providence to where I lived because it forced me to turn around and run back the next day. And I would leave a change of clothes and I would take a shower before I'd teach. I just didn't I wasn't stinky. Um, and I'd started doing things like that. I'd started doing things like where there was a race in the city of Richmond. I would run from my house run the race, and then run back home. I, I was a little crazy. Um, so I was watching late-night television, and they had uh, these people on late-night television, um, two kind of famous ultra runners, who were talking about they were thinking about seeing how far they could run without going to sleep. And so one of them was Dean Carnese's, and the other lady whose name somehow she'd be very offended if I forgot her name, but which I'm doing right now. I can't think of her name. Um, and they were talking on the David Letterman show about how they were going to do this and what they were planning on doing and how it was going to be such a big achievement. And I was thinking, wow, that must be really nice to have a sponsor that's going to sponsor you and do all this. What if I could do it? What if I could do it without, without any sponsorship? And so I 
started reaching out to Pocahontas State Park and say, hey, I want to do this. I want to use the park. I want to run around in circles, do a loop in the park, and I want to see how far I can run without going to sleep. Now, that doesn't mean that I ran, ran the whole time. That means I sometimes walked. Um, sometimes I uh, sat down because I was tired. Um, but I did not go to sleep. So I went through all this process of using the park and I got volunteers and I had to work out like how I was going to pay for all that. I got sponsors who paid, like I had to have a porta potty. The park said for you to have in Pocahontas for you to have this event, you have to have a porta potty. And since you're going to be there overnight, you got to pay for an extra park ranger. And so I had to find money for that. At first the park approved it. And then the state didn't approve it, but I had a friend who was friends with the governor, Mark Warner. And so with a little bit of talking in Mark Warner's ear, he then called the the state department that rules the park and said, hey, you're going to let him do it. And so I did all this, but I did lots of training. I ran all kind of miles. I did things where I would run one race on a Saturday and run another race on a Sunday. I practiced staying up late. Oh, and not really staying up late, like staying up like for one day at a time and then two days at a time and then two and a half days at a time. And I did all kinds of other physical training. Like I went to the rate room. I had a special guy at the time who was working with this company called Acceleration Richmond. His name was Kevin Reed. And he put me on this really wicked training plan with core and weights and all these crazy things to do on a treadmill with me running uphill on the treadmill with somebody pulling me from behind and it was really strenuous. And every time I would get really like, I was, I feel like I'm going to throw up, Kevin. He would put a bucket over next to the treadmill and say, okay, there it is. Throw up in that bucket right there. And then you're going to keep going. So I finally got everything approved. I picked the dates. I got time off from work. The, everybody at Providence was super excited about it. People in the running community were super excited about it. But I really, to be honest, I think they were super excited about it because they knew I was going to fall flat on my face. Like like these people who were saying it before, like Dean Carnese's and that lady whose name still forgets me. I want I, I, like I want to stop and look it up on the Internet. But but that'd be kind of rude. Um, I can't think of her name, but those were like considered to be the icons of the ultra marathoning world. And who was I? And so a lot of people were like, oh, we know you and we wish you the best. But I really think a lot of people were waiting for me to fail because then they could say, oh, well, who are you to do this? You know, you're we know you're a little weird and you're a little strange and you do things differently, but uh, we don't really think you can do it. In fact, one of my sponsors who I won't name because they know they did this. And if they ever see this, they'll know that who who I'm mentioning for them to sponsor me and for them to pay for the park ranger, they made me sign a contract saying that if I did not break the record and I did not achieve my goal, I had to pay that money back plus interest, not the greatest sponsor, but because really, and I'm not, I'm not bitter about this. I just think it's kind of funny. They really, really thought that I was going to fail. And so everything was set up. I had the time off. I had all of my volunteers. I had people to monitor my health and I had people to monitor that I wasn't cheating. And the other thing that I had to do is for the, for the park to approve my request, I had to officially tell the Guinness Book of World Records what I was doing. Now, there's not a category for the most miles run without sleep. There's not an official category or an official running category for that. So the Guinness Book of World Records said, well, if we want to endorse this as an official world record, you've got to pay for us to come over from England, and you've got to pay for us to stay in Richmond, and you've got to pay us a fee for us to endorse you. And I'm like, nope, not doing that. I just have to file this paperwork so that the state of Virginia will approve. So I'm all set. I got my volunteers. I got all my equipment. I got all my food and my water and the people to check on me and everything like that. Everything is good to go. And I'm, I'm scheduled to start in the middle of the week because that was the best time or whatever. The weekend before, a hurricane started. And the hurricane came up the coast of Virginia and it sat off the coast of America 
and generated all of this wonderful, hot, humid weather. Okay, so where originally the forecast had been September weather, lows in the 60s, highs maybe in the 70s, it was looking really good. I got hurricane weather, which meant temperature never really got below 80, 90 some percent humidity. And so when I started, I started in sunshine and by the end of the first night it was rainy and it was hot and it was humid. And I was not super excited about that. And so... I had people come out to run with me for the first two 25-mile loops. And the first one, I was great. Uh, The person who ran with me the first uh, route was Martha Wright. Nice, relaxed pace, great friend of mine. But then the group that came out that night were like, oh, we want to run fast. And so then they ran so fast, they just kind of left me behind, which I just let them go because then it was storming and I was starting to get a little dehydrated. And when I came in at the end of my second loop, I was like, this is not working. So I went back out for another route in the, in the another loop in the hot, humid condition. And by the time that I got back at the end of 75 miles, um, I was super dehydrated and I was throwing up and I couldn't keep anything down. So I made it through another 25 mile thing with lots of vomit and lots of illness and lots of whatever came back in at the end of a hundred miles. And the, my, my guru, my mentor, um, Ken Hubbard was like, dude, you got to do things differently or a, you're going to fail or B you're going to die and fail. And so we had to change things up and they changed my route. So I did this third of a mile loop over and over and over again And he really dialed into, you have to drink this much water and you have to keep this food down. If you don't keep this food down, then you're not going to be able to go out and run, run. You just got to do this little loop. So I went through about 12 to 14 hours of misery because I really couldn't keep anything down. Um, And luckily, though, the weather, even though it was kind of rainy and hot and humid, I kind of made my way through that as I got closer to the end of the second day, I started to get a second wind and the weather cooled down a little bit. And I was like, wow, it's not going to, it's going to cool off. So I kept going and I kept going and I kept going. And we finally agreed a time that I was going to leave the park and I was going to run across Chesterfield County to a point. It's right there off a of courthouse road at Southside Church of the Nazarene. And that was going to be the point where I was going to break the current record. The current record at the time was 300 miles without sleeping. So we got to that church. I ran around the parking lot and I broke the record. We then ran from there to Midlothian where I was going to do a 5K run that Sunday, that that morning. And then when I finished with that run, I was going to run all the way back to the park and then do one loop. And then I would have 350 miles. That's, that's what my goal was. So I broke the record. And by the time I got to Midlothian to run the 5K, I was out of my mind. I was seeing shadows. I was hallucinating. Evidently, if, if, if you, there's a video that a friend of mine made of it, there's all this footage of me being like really, really out of my mind. Like, I think a bear, I think a shadow is chasing me or... I would come into the area after running and I had this little spot set up where I had to go and like I could like had my own porta potty and I could go change my clothes. And at one point, evidently, I just walked in where my stuff was and I stripped down everything in front of everybody that was there and my next group of volunteers. But I, I didn't realize I was doing that. And then I put my clothes back on and I'm like, where's my coffee? Where's my coffee? And they're like, my coffee's right there in your hand. And I'm like, that's not my coffee. And so there's all this like I was just totally out of my mind because I was sleep deprived. But then when I got to the 5K, you know, I was I changed my clothes and I went to run the 5K. Now, the whole time I'm running the 5K, I'm thinking, what am I doing? Like I couldn't process in my mind, like, why was I there? And so I just and I, I think back on this. I'm like, how in the world did I do that? I ran 19 minutes for a 5k after already running like 315 miles. But I don't remember a whole lot of it other than the fact that my shoe was untied. And I kept thinking while I was running, why am I doing this? What, what race is this? 
how far is it? And luckily there were some people that were running just a little bit faster than me that I could follow. So when I finally came back and I was being really paranoid and I was seeing things and I was talking to people that weren't there, my wife and my friends all kind of got together and said, you've broken the record. I don't think anybody else is going to break the record. We think it's a good idea for you to stop now. And I wasn't very happy. I'm like, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to give up. How far do I have to go? Blah, blah, blah. And they said, okay, well, let's do this. Let's not stop. Let's let you go and have some food. We're going to put on some different running clothes and you're going to go and you're going to try to eat some food. And so they had like a plate of food for me and it had all the food on it. And I was trying to use the fork and like the egg is there and I would go, whoop, whoops, whoops. And so finally, you know, even though I was like, no, no, I'll just eat this later and I'll just run back to the park because because in my mind, uh, I wasn't ready to stop, even though looking back on it, I was being really weird um, and crazy. And so finally they talked me into it. Uh, to just stop. And I had the record at 318.25 miles, uh, without having fallen asleep. And so, um, I went home and I ate some food and I took a little nap and I was really surprised looking back on it that I didn't like sleep all the way to the next day, but I took a nap and I woke up and everybody in my family was like, what do you want? I'm like, I want a milkshake and I want a double quarter pounder with cheese. Cause I mean, I've been eating, but I hadn't had like food food. And so I ate that and I went to sleep. And before I went to sleep, my wife's like, are you going to work tomorrow? Like, do you have a sub for tomorrow at Providence? And I'm like, no, I think I think I just want to go to work. And my feet were, to, for lack of a better phrase, jacked up because they were swollen. And to fix some of the blisters, I had used duct tape. So I duct taped the blisters with duct tape. And then, of course, as I was you know, taking showers and everything afterwards, that duct tape had to come off. And of course it took skin with it, but duct tape fixed blisters in the short term. And so my feet were all kind of jacked up. And so I was going to wear flip flops and I was going to go to school. And my wife is like, well, maybe you should wait a day. And then evidently the school called my wife and said, we have this whole thing planned when he comes back to school today, he's coming back to school tomorrow. Right. And I'm like, my wife's like, oh, I guess he is. And so I'm like, okay, fine. So I went to sleep. I got up the next day. My wife refused to let me drive myself. And so drove me to school and I walked into Providence. I'm hobbling along. I'm still a little out of it. And basically the entire school was there early in the cafeteria to say congratulations and clap and say all these nice things. And it was amazing. I had not expected that. Um, and, and that, that, that meant a lot to me that all these, all these kids were there, kids that I didn't have. And, and what I find really interesting is about that is I will run into people in the community, uh, people who knew somebody, kids at Providence that I never even taught, but those kids will say, Hey, you were that kind of bald guy that ran all the time, weren't you? Or, Hey, you're Mr. Calfee. You had so-and-so. And in fact, um, just to kind of add a little context to the story, uh, I hate solicitors that knock on my door. I, I just do. I can't stand it. And I, leave, I live in a neighborhood where that happens all the time. And my children say they think it's really funny because I'll open the door and I'm not mean to them. I just start counting 10, 9, 8. And the person will, well, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm counting because, you, you know, I'm, I want you to leave. And so I'm giving you time to go. And I'll go five. And they're like, what do you mean? I, I got to leave. And I'm like, yeah, you're not supposed to be here anyways, but you've now got four seconds to get off my porch. And so I do that all the time. And then eventually they get the message and they leave. So this past Saturday evening, I opened my door and it was a solicitor, but it was a former student from Providence who I immediately recognized. And he's like, dude, I was hoping it was you. You look the same. You haven't aged at all. And I'm like, well, thank you. And then so he started talking about how he remembered when I did that and how how he had went to school early to to cheer me on and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, dude, that is so cool. And so I let him do his little spiel. I know I did not buy solar panels. Um, But 
he was so it was so cool that that happened. Um, and so you may be thinking now, why am I telling you this story? Okay, well, one because that me going through that really reinforced this idea that I've had all along, and that is you you should do your best to try to live your life to the to the max. Okay, I called it being fully alive, meaning it doesn't matter what you want to do. You want to run X number of miles without sleep. You want to go to graduate school and become a doctor. You want to own your own business. It doesn't matter, okay? But that if you want it, you can figure out a way to do it. And two, it's okay to do things that other people say, I'm not going to do that. You're going to fail. You're, you're not going to be successful. And so that kind of reinforced to me, you know, even though I was getting close to 40 years old, that it was okay to be with, to, to, to be still me, still be the quirky teacher who ran, who loves superheroes, who has toys on their desk. How will college? Who loves to read all the time. I always have a stack of books that I'm reading, who is very busy, but also very quirky. And so I have this whole like bullet journal that I do every single day. Um, One, because I like doing it. And two, because it helps me keep track, but that it was really okay for me to not be like everybody else, you know, for, and, and at times the world and people around you want to say, why can't you be more like that? Like, why can't you, um, we're concerned that your your students are getting the wrong idea because you like stuff. Um, I've had some administrators say to me, if you could only be more like, or why do you like stuff so much? And that was at a time that helped me re- really reinforce, it's, it, it's okay. I, I'm going to be who I am, and I'm going to love running and sports and coaching and superheroes and the Hot Wheel cars and food and coffee, and all of those things are okay. Um, and that you don't have to just pigeonhole yourself into anything. And really, if, if you want to do something, you can do it and, uh, and, and you can keep doing it. And I, I've done some other things, uh, like that. Like I've, uh, at one point when I was at Swift Creek to raise money for their cross country and track programs, I ran on their track for 24 hours straight and I ran 162 miles in 24 hours. And then laid in a chair and coached track practice from a chair. Um, but I liked doing extreme things like that. And, and why not if there's a benefit to it and, uh, and things like that? Uh, sometimes people now say, wow, man, you're so busy. Why are you so busy or whatever? And it's like, well, why shouldn't I be? You know, I've got time. I like to do this stuff. I- I'm doing what I want to do. There's no little person who wakes me up every day and says, hey, you have to do this. I'm doing what I want to do. So I know I've talked for a while, 27 minutes. (laughs) I'm not sure that Ireland was expecting me to talk that long, but hey. I thoroughly enjoyed it. So do not feel bad. (laughs) You're like, that is just such a motivational story. Like, I, I mean, I'm not a runner. I do not like running at all. I'm not good at it. That's why I'm a lacrosse goalie. So I don't have to run often. But that's definitely something that like anyone, an athlete, a musician, literally anyone can relate to because it's just you going out there and be, you know, and motivating yourself to and pushing yourself to do all of that, especially like, you know, and just being who you are, not being afraid to be a little bit quirky or different. And that reminds me, um, Right now in our leadership classes, we're doing Enneagram and a lot of the, st- the questions will be like, do you want to be unique from others or do you feel like you you know fit into the crowd and stuff? And I think a part of everyone wants like wants to be unique and different, but maybe are a little bit afraid to or be a little bit quirky. I'm definitely a little bit quirky, but I don't always show it to everyone. <laughs> um, I feel like everyone is. But yeah, thank you so much for sharing your story. It was super cool and just well, thank you. Very- I've never heard anything like it before. Um, Very inspirational. Um, One of the things that popped into my head while you're talking is where did you find that strength to, to keep going that entire time without sleep? Like where did you, what was 
inspiring you? What was pushing you throughout that entire um, entire duration of time? Uh, well, uh, one is I've um, I've always had like a high level of tolerance for pain and uh, discomfort. Not not just physical discomfort, but like uh, um, social discomfort. Like even from a young age, I, I did not fit in with uh, other kids, especially when we moved from Roanoke to um, I grew up in Hanover County and I was in an open space school, which kind of messed everything up because I was uh, seven, six years old, hadn't turned seven yet, but I was a fourth grader in an open space school. And when we came to Hanover County, they didn't have anything like that. So I got put back in first grade. And so for years, um, I was the butt of many jokes. I was picked on, um, uh, you know, I would have like, for example, you know, I was playing sports and I would like hit the game winning shot uh, on the weekend for like a rec team and everybody'd be excited. And I'd go to school the next day with my own teammates and we'd be on the playground picking teams for basketball. And because I was different and because I was talented and gifted or I was a nerd or I read too much or I was whatever, they would not pick me on their basketball team at recess. Like I, I never got picked for anything. Um, kids would make fun of me at school would like turn my desk over and and those would be teammates from like the baseball team where I hit it. Like I was their pitcher. Um, and I've had a lot of people say, well, why do you want to do that? Like, you can't do that. That that's not the way to do things. And so I kind of built up this, like, uh, I don't know, attitude that said, and to be honest with you in the moment, one of the things that was motivating me was I don't want to have to pay that bill for that security card. <laughs> who's got to stay with me for, for three days, essentially. I, I don't want to have to pay for that. Like, like, and, and I know that seems so base that I was thinking at times like, oh, instead of like this big monumental achievement and I'm going to break the record, I'm thinking, where's that money going to come from if I quit? Um, and then at some point in time, it was also a, a little bit of like chip on my shoulder because I was like, oh, now I'm getting really close to it. There's no way that I'm, that I'm going to stop. And even though at times people were coming to me at one point, to be honest, in that whole ordeal, my friend Ken Hubbard said, you're going to die. Like, like literally, if you don't do something different right now, you're going to die. You're, you're going to get super dehydrated. Your organs are going to stop. Your heart's going to skip a beat and you're going to die. So stop being a butt about this and do exactly what I say. And so, um, it's also had a lot of people helping me and I had a lot of people volunteering and I, I don't know. I, I, I just, I just couldn't let it go. And some of it was very motivational and some of it was very petty because I'm like, I don't want to pay that bill. That's such a big bill for me to pay. And I, I don't want to pay it. Yeah. That's definitely a good factor of it. I feel like in your position, I feel very similar. Like I don't want to pay all that money. Like, are you kidding? No, I have to keep going. Um, but then yeah, I, with the, when you touch on, you know, the people back in elementary school, middle school who would pick on you for being different. I feel like just elementary school kids are so rough. Like they have no filter. And I remember, now, I grew up in New York on Long Island, so I didn't come to Virginia until I was like in fifth grade. But, you know, I was a little, just a little chubby kid who was super, like, extroverted and weird. <laughs> like, I would, like, just sing, like, randomly. But I was also, like, an athlete, and I was, you know, pretty good. And I... I feel like I had a decent amount of friends, but obviously kids picked on me because I was a little, little chubby girl, like super. I mean, now I, you know, I don't think anyone at j bullying is obviously still a huge thing, but at this point we're all just kind of like, we're in this, like, this is what's happening right now. Who, who cares anymore? With seeing that, um, I got like one year of reprieve in elementary school because, you know, education has all these things where they, a new theory comes out and a new thing changes. And so they try something different. So at our elementary school, um, there was all of these kids who were self-contained and they ranged in age from 
kindergartners to like 16 or 17 years old because they hadn't moved beyond the seventh grade yet. And they were in these classrooms all by themselves and all kinds of kids were grouped into that. And so also at our elementary school, you were tracked based on um, your class level. So in third, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade, or fifth grade, I was in the advanced track. And so I took classes with all the same kids, all the same kids that were in advanced classes. You you kind of move through the day together. Well, when I was in sixth grade, um, they, they said, oh, no, all those kids in the self-contained classes are going to join. It was called mainstreaming. And then we're not going to have any more levels anymore. No advanced, no C level. Everybody's going to be in the same room together, which was like a cultural experience. Well, there was this person in the self-contained room. His name, I, I, he was named Bill Mills, and he lived in the same community that I lived in. And it, he, he was always like walking around, and he looked older than all the elementary school kids. He was basically dressed like Fonzie from the happy days and so we had the leather jacket and the jeans and the big boots and the chain and but uh i worked at a rec association and he would walk around and and i was always just kind of nice to him even though i was like way smaller than he was and so he had this like reputation of maybe being a criminal in the community or people didn't know what he was doing but he was bill mills and for some reason he was now in all these classes with me because he was technically a sixth grader. And, and even though he was like, nobody really knew how old he was. He could have been 17. He could have been 21. Who knows? But he liked, he liked to pick on me. Now you think, hold on. That's, that doesn't make any sense. So he did this thing where I would come in and I'd be sitting in my desk and he'd come in to sit in his desk. And of course he'd sit and he'd get, he'd get all loungy like he's cool and he was strong enough, he'd reach over and grab the back of my desk and dump me out every day. And he thought that was the funniest thing in the world. And I would, like, go up and ask my teacher, like, Miss Norwood, can you please move my seat? No, we sit in alphabetical order, and that's where, find a way to deal with it. And he would do that, like, every day or whatever. But he never let anybody else pick on me. So if somebody else said something, you know, called me a name associated with talented and gifted, which I won't say what they called me, it rhymes with tag, um, but nobody else could pick on me that year. He could, and he wasn't really, I mean, he just thought it was funny, I guess, but he, nobody else could bother me. Like, like, like if somebody said, you know, I'm sure everybody's heard of swirlies. You know, and it sounds so terrible. You put your head in the toilet and you flush the toilet. Well, if he saw that somebody was like picking on me in the hallway or there was this uh, one kid named CJ who would like make fun of me and then Bill Mills would track him down and find him and and put his head in the toilet and flush the toilet. I'm not endorsing that, by the way. Um, (laughs) I'm not. But it it was such an interesting thing that I, I like at times I didn't just quite fit in. And even when I was in high school, like where I went to high school, you either had to be a jock or a prep or a nerd or a punk or what was called a head. And those were the people who would go to the back of the school and smoke during the day. You couldn't be all of those. Um, you couldn't be on a sport team and hang out with the people who were just getting interested in uh, like punk rock and MTV. And you couldn't hang out with the people in shop class. You, you had to be one place or another. And, uh, you know, I was always keenly aware of that. Like, like, why can't I just be myself? And if one Monday morning I want to go hang out on Jock Corner, I can. And if Wednesday I want to go and, you know, talk music and weird novels with the, uh, the beatniks kind of, then wh- why, why can't I do that? So, uh, I've, I've always kind of been used to that and I've, uh, I've never given up on that. I have a lot of my current friends who just think it is terrible that, that I like, I still like Hot Wheel cars or I have action figures or I read comic books on my phone or it's like, why haven't you grown up yet? Like, like, you know, why aren't you going home every day and sitting on, on your couch and just grow up? And so, 
I know I know that's kind of a long answer, but no, I thought that was really great, and it's just you know it's also interesting when hearing about how you know school is for like basically like of the students now like our parents like I remember Mr. Schumacher um last school year when we were still in school he told us about his you know I I mean I forgot what decade it was but I think it was like the 80s 90s ish um and he was like in middle school and there was literally like the like I think they were called like the heads or something like that, but it's like the, like the tough dudes, whatever. And then the preps and she was in the preps and then they would like literally have like battles in sixth grade. Like it sounds like straight out of a movie. Um, it's crazy, but I'm glad at least at James river. And I've talked to some of my other friends about this. I feel like at least for, you know, my grade, the 12th grade, we're not super like, I mean, obviously people have their friends, but I feel like we're not super clicky. Like we don't have that like one big group of what, you know, I think we're all just kind of like in it together and we're all like super chill. So we're like, whatever, man, like we're, we're all struggling. (laughs) Like we're all really stressed out. We're trying to get into college. Like, you know, everyone's on the same page and I feel like it's not super toxic as like, I would, I thought it would be when I was in middle and elementary school, like watching like Mean Girls and be like, oh my gosh, it's gonna be like the plastics. But that's like, <laughs> it is. No, and I was, I, I was like, oh my gosh, it's gonna be like that. But no, yeah, it's not like- I, I had some very unique experience because at times I was in junior high, which was, you know, elementary school went to seventh grade, and then eighth and ninth grade were junior high, and then you went to high school, where I was at the junior high. But I also had to go up to the high school in the afternoons to play varsity sports. Mm-hmm. But that meant I left a few minutes early and I had to walk through a war zone um, of all these different cliques from the high school who would hang out between the junior high and the high school. And what are you doing up here? What, who do you, do you think you're better than we are? And sometimes literally I'd have like people chasing me oh as like God. an eighth and a ninth grader, like trying to get and eventually – eventually some of the older students like on the sports teams that I would, would walk down and then like escort me up, which was a good thing, but also like not a good thing because then it's like, Oh, you need those people. And Oh, oh, oh well, wait till we see that when you're not with the, the two big seniors and everything like that. And so uh, it's very interesting. Cause you know, I was, in all this in the late seventies and the eighties, which is a great looking back on it. I'm like, so glad I was in the eighties and all the things I experienced of being a kid in the eighties with all the things that changed. Um, I, I wouldn't change that for a world for the world, but, um, things were not like, not always, there were so many clicks and I'm glad to see now in high school, it's not, it's not as pronounced There was a distinct, I mean, you would walk through the grounds of our high school and you could see them, jocks over here, heads over here, punks over here, beatniks over here, preps over here. I mean, then it was like, whoa, like, and they would not associate with each other. And boy, and in terms of like relationships in high school, if you were a jock and you liked someone that was a punk, That just was not done. And so sometimes if you were in one group, you know, it sounds like an 80s movie, right? It sounds that's why those movies came out, because that's what actually happened. If you were super popular and you like someone that wasn't in a group that was super popular, you you had to kind of figure out a way to get that person to be super popular. Or you had to kind of do it like without anybody knowing about it, which sounds Mm -hmm. terrible. But it that is the that is kind of the way it the kind of the way it was. And I'm glad we've progressed some from that. I, I mean, I'm still, I think bullying is, is terrible and it still exists and it happens in much more like, thank heavens, my generation did not have social media. I mean, the worst thing they could do is, is like jam your locker shut with pennies or put little notes into the th- slots in your lockers that say, Ooh, you suck. <laughs> but there wasn't like, something that millions of people could look at. Yeah, yeah definitely social media is, uh, it, and cyberbullying is, I feel like, now a bigger deal than bullying. I feel like I see less physical, but like, at least the time I've been at James River, I've not seen any, like, physical, like, bullying. 
Um, sure, I've probably seen some fights, but like not like bullying. But online, you know, people can hide behind a screen and say whatever they want because they don't they don't care. They feel like they have no repercussions for their actions, which is like so, which is how because it's so dangerous it's- that really anyone can say anything at any time, and that's. I mean, I've been afraid of that totally. Like, if I funny sometimes that, um, like when, um, like, like this hasn't happened so far yet with, uh, with some of the Instagram stuff that I do either by myself or for like yearbook Mm -hmm. and stuff where, where people get on there and say some of the most ridiculous things. But there is, that happens sometimes. Like if you look at something that's posted from the James River High School Instagram and then they, they leave the comments on and some of the things that people say, it's like, really? Yeah. Like, like, like what's the purpose in that? And yeah. uh, and it is just funny. And the, the, the person who does a lot of that is Mr. Kern. And so he mm-hmm. has a very interesting uh, point of view with that, and so he'll he'll clash back a little bit. With, I know exactly. he's with, my advisor for the podcast, so I've with, I've noticed that he'll be a little spicy back. I'm with, like, okay, that's you know, perfect. I mean, I I, I think that if you know, yeah, I think if it's somebody out there, uh, and then there's some really like, and not not to get off the subject, but there's some stuff that people put on Instagram just to stir things up. I mean, I love somebody coined the expression thumb thugs, which I think is great (laughs) that they'll just stir stuff up and they put some really disturbing stuff on there. That's, uh, that's un that's unrelated and not verified. But then on the flip side of that, social media can do a lot of good with getting people to tell stories and, I'm not just saying this because you're doing this, but but there's a couple of accounts out there that a lot of kids seem to contribute to where it's I mean, I feel like they're being pretty honest and they need that voice. And so social media gives them a chance to do that. But uh, I, I don't know. I just think sometimes it's very informative and entertaining. And I'm I'm so glad that my life isn't ruled by it. But but I'm, I'm so glad as a kid being bullied a little bit, man, what, what would those kids in the eighties have done with like Instagram and Twitter? And because you were very limited on what you could do, you, you could put a note on somebody's locker, you could slip them a note or you could call somebody on the phone and talk to them. But at the time in the eighties, there wasn't even call waiting. So you couldn't spread a rumor. If the other person was on the phone, you had to wait till they were done and then call them. You got, so sometimes busy signals stop the spread of rumors. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I, I agree. I don't physically, I think a lot of times see a lot of like physical bullying, like I'm going to bump you in the hallway or I'm going to like, like try to shove you in a locker, that sort of like stereotypical thing. But I think there's a lot of other stuff that that goes on um with people spreading rumors and saying stuff and i mean people go to a lot of links where they make the fake account to say something about somebody and then they don't realize it's still attached to their same account so if they do something really stupid it's really easy to figure out who they are um i just think that's kind of funny when that happens. that's karma it is i totally agree with that and i know i like over quarantine i've noticed um some students have been making like jrhst accounts where you can like direct message them for like <laughs> and like just say like dr- like dramatic stuff about other people no one ever like i haven't seen anyone take that seriously and like actually put in like drama but i mean i remember that in like elementary school like tons of kids did that but it was just funny i was like we're really getting bored in quarantine when we're bringing like, like, this really that that's what you're gonna do i mean uh, i i guess that's uh <laughs> I'm glad no one really like said any real drama because I was like, I was like, I don't want anyone to get hurt from this, but I mean, I think it was all fine, but it's just, it was funny a little bit. Um, yeah, that was a really great discussion. I'm glad that we talked about that. Thank you so much for taking the day and talking with me, um, and sharing your story and just, yeah, I, this has been great. I'm really excited, um, for everyone to listen to it. But so, yeah, just thank you. hope that you guys enjoyed this new episode of the human the dream over i know i did mr calfee is just such a cool dude <laughs> like that is 
the words I would definitely use to describe him. He is he knows so much and he does so much for the school and he's just he's a really great person. Um, and so getting to know him um, a bit better this year and through the podcast and he's also my club sponsor. So it's just been an honor getting to know him and work with him through this. And I just really, really hope that you all enjoyed it and took a little something away from it. Um, I just wanted to say a big thank you to anyone who is able to come up, come out to my um, Chipotle night fundraiser on Sunday. Um, I'm pre-recording this, so I'm not sure how it went just yet, but I bet it went well, hopefully. <laughs> and I just really want to thank anyone who um, was able to come out and support. It means the absolute world to me. Um, also, if you want to be on the podcast or just need someone to talk to, please feel free to email me, um, humansofjrhs at gmail.com or DM the Instagram page at humansofjrpod um, on Instagram. I also recently just made a Facebook page, which is just, um, it should show up if you also type in at humansofjrpod. Um, and please don't forget to leave a like, um, a comment, a rating. I think it's a rating. <laughs> on the Apple Podcasts, if you haven't done so already. Um, that would mean a whole lot to me as well. Um, yeah, please just let me know if there's anything I can do to help you if you'd like to be involved with the podcast. We're, um, I'm also looking for sponsors right now. So if you or your business or your parents' business or anything would be interested in sponsoring me, please just also contact me using the email I mentioned earlier. That would be super duper awesome. Um, yeah, I hope that everyone's having a great week. Um, and that's a tr- the transition to hybrid it hasn't been too hard on anybody. Um, I know that's definitely a huge adjustment for everyone at James River um, and in Chesterfield County in general and just all over the world. Um, since this pandemic has begun and yeah I just hope that you're all doing okay and staying safe and healthy and happy Um, I'm always here if anyone needs to talk and I look forward to talking to you guys again in the next two weeks hope you have a great day bye